Hi, everybody. You're listening to the 50th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP. I'm DeCarlo Calloway alongside Dorian. And on today's podcast, we crack open blue crabs and beer in Maryland. Spy, ah, excuse me, I don't know what's going on this evening. Spy on Agent Zero and the Boston Red Sox. Ask why Kennard struck it down and gamble on the Cubs business model. We want to begin this episode like we do every episode, showcasing our drinks. And I will be first begin. So this evening I am drinking a Svetka vodka with pink grapefruit seltzer. It's quite refreshing considering it is a nice refreshing day here. And I think it's a perfect way to kind of end the eve end the day and begin the evening. Now I want to pass it to my man Dorian to see what it is that he's drinking and what stories he can provide behind the drinks that he is consuming today. So what's up, Dorian? How are you doing today? No pressure. No pressure, right? I have to keep everyone entertained. <laughs> well, we both do. Cheers, my friend. Cheers to your Swedish, German vodka. What is, what is Svenska? It's, it's Swedish. Swedish. So, no, I don't know. The, I don't know how to say cheers in Sweden. Cheers. I am keeping it stateside as usual. I'm having a, a beer called Firm with an F from a brewery called Forward Brewing in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm going to have a quick sip. And today's little story is going to be about crabs. Do you like crabs, DeCarlo? I actually love crabs, and I have a very interesting story regarding crabs when it comes to Maryland. So. Tell me all about it. Well, I actually have a few. One, <laughs> so, I mean, I lived in Maryland for four years and had familial connections there even prior to that. And one time we went for a trip. And um, for those who are aware of Maryland, is you have crabs are synonymous with Maryland, especially because of Chesapeake Bay. And it's just a big thing. So we went to this one place called Phillips. And Phillips, it's 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 almost like the McDonald's of crab, like in seafood in Maryland. The one in the East, East Harbor in Baltimore? Yes, actually, okay. we went to the harbor location. It's funny. And went in so of course it's like all you can eat and bring all these crabs we just start going and going and going in and uh just to kind of keep it above you know not lowbrow i could just say it really did a terrible number on me and everybody else who had crabs and i could just say like driving back because i wasn't living in maryland at the time i was actually visiting my sister and dropped her off she exploded i had to find a gas station to explode in like (laughs) everybody else was just like the only person who was okay was my stepfather because he didn't eat the crabs <laughs> but they were crazy but i would say don't go to eat the crabs at phillips i still haven't since then i've gone to obrickies which is a really good crab spot down it's in fells point and not too far from the harbor and they're um they're they're seasoning because usually old bay is a synonymous seasoning like in Maryland, everybody puts Old Bay on everything from popcorn to, to French fries to your potato salad to your crabs. Eggs. They, it, yeah, it's a, I, I season with Old Bay myself. It's one of those things I kind of came away with. And But O'Bricky's seasoning, they use black pepper as opposed to like red pepper base. And it's really, really, really good. But yeah. I've this is why I've never eaten at that Phillips in East Harbor in Baltimore. That's a really nice area, but. If I eat crabs, it has to be like a, a like an old established joint that's been around for like, you know, it's been a family business for like 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm okay about crabs. I actually enjoy crab cake, mm. but it has to, but no, no filler. Like it actually just has to be nothing but crab. You pay, you pay a pretty penny for it, but it's worth it. And 
crabs were also a big feature in that 2005 uh, film Wedding Crashers with uh, what's his name? I see his Owen face. Wilson and Vince Vaughn with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. And if you guys remember that line it, when they with Bradley Cooper, by the way, with Bradley makes Cooper. this line. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was it was Bradley Cooper's friend, the the guy with the brown, the, the brown or black hair. Really? I thought Flip. it was Bradley Cooper. No, it's Flip. He's the one that goes. Remember everyone when after the wedding, the what the big wedding that they crashed, and they get invited over to the, the secretary's house. That you know, the, the, by Christopher Nolan is plays Secretary of the Interior mean, or something like that. Christopher Nolan, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Christopher Nolan is the director. Yes. I wish I could do a really good Christopher Walken impression. Um, so, you know, I, I fought in the war with your father. And um, we were trapped in a, in a Vietnamese POW camp. He gave me this watch. He told me to take it. And you, to be able to survive this time, I, I took the watch and I shoved it up my ass. <laughs> and I oh. kept it there until we got away. I'm going to submit, I'm, I'm I submit this, this watch, to, the, to the Oscars. I give this watch to you. I mean, that's, that's my impression of Chris. I mean, Christopher Walken is such an interesting creature. I, and I call him a creature because he really is a creature. <laughs> but his voice, his cadence, everything about him. And just that it's so funny because when you think of Pulp Fiction, because for those who don't know, that's just kind of a paraphrasing of his part in Pulp Fiction where he literally is only there for a flashback moment with Bruce Willis's character when he was a boy. But he stole the show just in that, like, what was it, like 10 minutes? Like, maybe not even 10 minutes, maybe like seven minutes, but such a, such a great actor. Yeah, so he was in it as well. And then they go to that house and they start playing uh, touch football or tackle football. I forget what it was it on was the touch line. Football. Touch football. And that scene was actually filmed at a real house in St. Michael's, Maryland. And St. Michael's, Maryland is like a, a place where people go for weekends. Apparently it's like romantic. I have no idea. I've never been there. But that line, that flip, Bradley Cooper's character's friend says, quote, yeah, crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. People, people, people in Maryland have been doing crabs since the year 1200 BC. And I, I was shocked when I found this out. Archaeologists have actually recently discovered that Native Americans were eating blue crabs. Colonists were eating blue crabs, African-Americans. And of course, uh, I just said Native Americans. Obviously, they were the ones eating it like 3000 years ago. So cheers to everyone who enjoy, who's been enjoying blue crabs and as you can imagine, DeCarlo, the blue crabs back like 3,000 years ago, they were a lot bigger than the ones that people buy now. Also, there's a, a minor league team from the Atlantic League. They're not actually affiliated with the Major League Baseball. Uh, in, in, there's, a, there's, a team called, there's a team in Waldorf, Maryland. It's called Southern Maryland Blue Crabs in the Atlantic League. So if you guys ever make it down to make it down up or out to Maryland during crab season. I think crab season ends in what September, October. So it's it's closing. It's it's yeah, come to a close pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, it's like the beginning of fall. Yeah, it's from I think like June to September. I don't know. People look it up. This is why everyone has an internet machine. Enjoy the crabs. Enjoy the football and the baseball. Did you ever, did you enjoy some baseball when you were living in Baltimore, my friend? I mean, Actually, in Maryland. I, I did. Um, I've been to. So of course, I went and saw the Orioles. Like. Camden Yards, if anybody ever gets the opportunity to travel the East Coast and do baseball stadiums, Camden Yards, 
bar none, it's still one of the best ones. Um, and I went to see Bo- the Bowie Bay Sox, which were a minor league affiliate of the uh, Orioles as well. Yeah, they're the double A. And yeah. right now, the Bowie Bay Sox have the Orioles have the number one pitching prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, and the number one position player prospect, uh, Adley Rutchinson, who's a catcher. So the Orioles system is stocked because God knows that team needs a lot of help. Yeah, they're a terrible team currently. But, I mean, the Orioles have been – they have their fits and spurts at times. It's very interesting. Like, they'll there'll be a couple of seasons when they, they're good, they have a solid squad, and then they either sell them off or they retire, and then they build up their farm system. And then you have some players who pop out, and they might compete. But it they haven't really, really, really – I would say since like the late nineties on a consistent level, maybe late nineties, no. early two thousands. No, early 20, early to mid 2010s, my friend, because they yeah, still they won like two, three the American. Yeah. They won the American league East title a few times and they went to the playoffs a bunch of times in a row, either as wild card yeah. or division. Yeah. Champion, when they had so. Manny Machado and yep. Nick Marquez. And Nick Chris Marquez Davis was, was actually good. Yeah. And Adam Jones was playing center field for him. I think at that point. Yeah. So about up until about five years ago, they were actually a legit, they were a squad. Yeah. Now they're, they're, they're like a, they're a quad a squad. Yeah. You remember <laughs> when Miguel Tejada, who was like MVP when he, played for the A's, went and played for the Orioles and just, just couldn't do it. So he was off the roids at that time, too. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, it's not alleged. He he tested positive. So oh, okay. it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I, I well, I it's 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 a true fact that I'm enjoying my farmhouse ale, the uh the firm with an M beer from this brewery in Annapolis. You, my friend, are also enjoying it and all of our listeners are welcome to send in their picture of what they're enjoying this early fall time when you're drinking. I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm really trying to tell you is send us a picture of what you're drinking. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And when you send a picture, use the hashtag HBP drink, and we will happily retweet your drink. Someone who's not really happy to Carlo are the Boston Red Sox. Speaking of seafood, because I have not yet made it up to New England to eat, what is it, lobster, lobster, because lobster season is also until like October. But the people in Boston, the, the Boston Red Sox are, are, they've had a very funky year. They went, it, they came out like gangbusters. They were in first place for a while. They've tailed off. And now they're about like nine games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. They're in third place. And this past weekend, Labor Day weekend, the Tampa Bay Rays paid a visit to Fenway Park to play the Boston Red Sox. Tampa Bay is in first place. The New York Yankees are in second place, about eight games back. And the Red Sox are about nine games back. And Labor Day was like a stab in the heart to Carlo. Labor Day, the Boston Red Sox were up six runs after the second inning on the 6th of September. They were up seven to one. And yes, they ended up losing 11 to 10 in 10 innings. (laughs) You know, when I when I saw this, I thought this is what makes this is what baseball and its cousin cricket completely different from all the other sports. Because if you're in American football, if you're in soccer, if you're in basketball, and you come out, you go out with a huge lead, you can bleed the clock. Yeah. You can kill the clock. The game will end. But yeah, the fact that the that the Red Sox put up seven runs in two innings doesn't mean anything because in baseball, just like in cricket, everyone gets their chance 
fully com- complemented chance because there is no clock in cr- cricket. There is no clock in baseball. So obviously the, uh, not obviously, but the Rays came back to win and pitching that game was the Red Sox stud left-handed Chris Sale. He's from Lakeland, Florida. And I keep saying people, the best beaches in the continental U.S. are on the West coast of Florida. Lakeland is on the West coast. Uh, Sale hasn't pitched in forever because he spent all of 2020 recovering from Tommy John surgery. And it's interesting that when he, now that he's back, he's actually pitching a lot higher in the strike zone, which as a batter, it's you're you're tempted to go for a, a pitch that is up almost at your chest, basically your chest or neck, because you just want to hammer that ball out of the out of the out of the stadium. But he's actually getting these, these he's challenging these hitters and they're not hitting the ball. So he's come back pretty good. He's had five starts. He's he has a sub three ERA. He obviously has he's striking out over one batter every single inning. And to Carlo, you know this, Chris Sale will be pitching in that wild card game. Even though we're three weeks away from the playoffs, everyone knows that the Yankees and the Red Sox are set to meet in the wild card. How do you feel about your New York Yankees facing Chris Sale in a winner take all one game wild card matchup? Well, it's a 50-50 chance because it's a one-game wild card. So, <laughs> yeah, I think. But you know what? I actually, obviously, people, this is weird. This is not a playoff preview. But I was thinking that because the Yankees have a slightly better record and things can change, the Yankees are probably going to host that game. But nevertheless, when you have a great pitcher like Chris Sale, it's going to be an amazing because you know it's going to be Chris Sale against Garrett Cole, and that's going to be hopefully an amazing series, not an amazing, amazing game. But when you have these type of pitching matches, matchups who that we're building up to that, I'm sure that game is going to be like nine to eight, 15 to 14, some crazy because you just expect Sale and Cole to shut everybody down. Ooh, who knows? But the Boston Red Sox, again, they're hurting. They're in third place in the American League East. They theoretically could tumble out of the wild card spot. But for Agent Zero, who, who, who's Agent Zero, DiCarlo? What Agent Zeros do we have in popular culture? Because that may not play baseball. Uh, well, we got, you know, Gilbert Arena shooting his shots, but he's still with the Demons. In, in shooting his shots on the court or in the locker room? Both. And uh, But Gilbert Arena's people, he was an NBA guard in basketball, like what, uh, 10 years ago? More than 10 years. I mean, he really, I would say late 2000s, probably like 2000. Like, he, he was drafted, what, 2001, 2002. But he really, he was killing it through, like, the early twos for a while. And he was, like, the 29th pick, I think, in the, in the NBA draft that year. Like, he came really late in the first round. But he turned into a really solid player for a good maybe five to seven seasons. And then, you know, and he so, played for the Washington Wizards. Yeah, he played for Gilbert. We're talking about the basketball player, the former basketball player, Gilbert Arenas. He was drafted in the second round of the NBA back it in It was the second round. I thought he was. I thought he was the. I thought he was the 29th or 30th pick. Let me double check. No, it's he was. He was drafted in the second round. This is what the HBP research analyst is telling me. And Gilbert Arenas, his jersey number was zero, so that's why they called him age. No, they didn't call him that. He and I love the the drive of this guy. We're gonna get back to baseball people in a second, but Gilbert Arenas chose zero because that's what critics said. That's how many minutes he was going to play in his NBA career. 
nada, zero, zilch. And he proved them wrong. But then he had an incident in the locker room with uh, firearms, with uh, teammates. And uh, it all went down the hill from there very quickly. I think that happened back in the 2009-2010 season. So Agent Zero was awesome until he decided not to to use uh, extracurricular superpowers. But also, there's an Agent Zero in the Marvel Universe. I'm not that big of a fan of a Marvel Universe, but do you know about that Agent Zero in the Marvel Universe, DiCarlo? So David Nord was his name. Uh, No, Christopher Nord, excuse me. And he uh, was a mutant, and he... His ability was really absorbing kinetic energy, so you could beat him, and then he just absorbs it, and then could like um, redistribute it to you. And he was uh, with the Weapon X project, so these are the mutants who really Weapon X was like a Canadian mutant project that housed the most notable Canadian mutant, which is Wolverine. And uh, he really messed around with him, and 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 also uh, Deadpool. Yeah. Well, I pulled up his uh, ranking, so. Out of the rankings, we have durability. He has a seven. Energy he has a four. out of a hundred. Out of a hundred, I think it's out of ten. <laughs> so it's a scale of like one to ten. So he has a durability seven, energy four, fighting skill seven, intelligence five, speed three, and strength four. And uh, yeah, so he that was that was his role. So agent that's zero. agent zero. Yeah, agent zero in basketball with Gilbert Arenas. Agent zero. Christopher Christoph North, later David North in the Marvel Universe. But the Boston Red Sox need their current agent zero, Adam Ottavino, their right-handed relief pitcher, because that Boston Red Sox bullpen is uh, it's a work in progress, to put it politely. Which wouldn't be a really good thing for them moving into the postseason, because really, as we know, it's pitching that wins games, especially yeah. in the postseason. Like. If your bullpen is, is is subpar and you make it to the playoffs, you're be happy you'll at least get the playoff bonus. And the Red Sox are hurting not just because of the bullpen, but specifically their designated closer, Matt Barnes. He hasn't been good this season. And earlier this summer, he signed a two-year extension, a two-year, almost $19 million. And the Red Sox fans are now up in arms. If you're a Red Sox fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're shaking your head. Because Matt Barnes is not doing the job. And so people like a player like Adam Ottavino, agent zero, because his jersey number is zero, he's got to step up. But the funny thing is, baseball fans know this, is uh, Adam Ottavino is a, a New Yorker. He was born in Manhattan. His nickname, you probably know this to Carlo, is Brooklyn. Mm. He played for the Yankees. I can't imagine that dream actually came true for him. He was with the Yankees in 2019 and 2020. And he's been, his jersey number has been zero since he debuted in the big leagues with, I forget who drafted him, uh, back in 2013. What, what, what do you have to say about your former relief pitcher, Adam Adovino with the New York Yankees, now with the Boston Red Sox? Were you upset when the Yankees didn't resign or they traded him to the Red Sox? No, because usually if the Yankees and the Red Sox do business, it tends to work favorably for the Yankees. Um, but yeah, it's business at the end of the day. If he wasn't cutting it for us and he found his opportunity with another team, as long as it doesn't hurt us in the long run, yeah, I, I wish him I wish him well. Uh, yeah, and the, the Boston Red Sox better wish that Agent Zero 
whether it's Adam Ottavino, whether it's Gilbert Arenas, whether it's David North coming out of the bullpen, they help them out because it's been it's been disappointing seeing the Red Sox the way they slipped boom 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 from first place all the way down to third place to potentially out of the out of the out of the what do you call it the playoff race. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. It was not a good Labor Day weekend because the Red Sox just cannot seem to beat the Rays. The, the Rays have their number, and the Reds, the Red Sox are going to have to face their nemesis, New York Yankees, in about three weeks. So we'll see if Chris Sale, Agent Zero, Adam Ottavino, closes the deal. In the meantime, our show sponsor gives you a space to be yourself. Borders Bookstore. You can publish your own book in our stores. Buy music, burn CDs. Borders. Books, music, movies, cafe. Find yourself at Borders, and you don't have to watch any Boston Red Sox games in our stores. <laughs> I added that in. That wasn't part of the copy, people. So it's been, uh, again, like I said earlier, it's been a surprise that the Boston Red Sox haven't been doing well. But it's also a surprise what happened a few days ago to Carlo. Yeah, unfortunately, we had a very talented uh, artist pass away. Uh, Michael K. Williams, for those who don't know who he was, he was the actor behind the man named Omar Little. So for those bringing it back to Maryland, if you watch the, the, the Wire. Baltimore. Baltimore, 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 Baltimore. Um, Michael K. Williams, he was an actor, he was a dancer. Like, he actually was pretty, he was, he was on play for a while, but unfortunately, he was found dead in his apartment in Williamsburg from an apparent drug overdose. And he was very open about the fact that he struggled with drug addiction for quite a long time, even stating that most of the money that he earned from his time on the wire he spent on drugs. Oh, man. Um, but, you know, over the years, he was working on it. He was open about it. But, you know, unfortunately, when you have addictions like you know, for drugs or alcohol or anything like that, it could be, you know, you could have moments where you're running a long time and then you hit a stumble and then you find yourself back in it. And unfortunately, he found himself back in it and and it ultimately took his life. But he was not only just known for portraying Omar Little in The Wire, who was the shotgun totem um like anti-hero of the show who really was most notable not only for just walking around with a shotgun and sticking up like Avon Barksdale and Marlo Stansfield but also being like openly homosexual which was something of course when we think about African-American masculinity and things like this homosexuality is not something that's brought about but the funny thing is is that his character was actually modeled off of a real life stick-up guy in Baltimore who was known to rob drug dealers and who was gay at the same time so it wasn't as though it was like this created like pretty much all of the characters in the wire were fashioned off of actual hustlers and stick up people who um were in baltimore and so his character was uh really really one that stuck out the most and you know when we sit back and say why canar struck again because omar little's character unfortunately in the show was killed by this other character called Kennard, who was this little boy who was really, really gangster. Just like little, little dude spoke a lot, like talked a lot of nonsense, but he carried it out when he took out Omar because Omar in the last season was like on the lamb and 
Marlo and his people wanted him dead and, you know, nobody could touch him, even though he broke his leg jumping out of a window and was still sticking up their guys and knocking people off. But Kennard got him in a store. And uh, unfortunately, in this case, Kennard was uh, the drugs that took him out. But not only was he synonymous for The Wire, he was also on Boardwalk Empire, most recently Lovecraft Country. And he also did um, Community. Oh, yeah, the community as well. He even had like a skit in The Sopranos. And for his dancing credit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was in like season two or three in The Sopranos. Yeah, for, like, just for minutes. like a quick, like a quick hot minute. Yeah. It was just like he, uh, what is it? Jackie April, Jackie Jr. was uh, on the lam with him and his daughter. And he was playing chess with them. But he also had a career as a dancer. Because before, back in the 90s, he was in, uh, you know, back in the river and back again. I'm going to take it to the end 100%. Pure love. You don't remember that song by singer Crystal Waters? It was like yeah. I yeah. thought you were gonna say Rhythm Nation by no, Janet no, that's Janet Jackson. Yo, but he was he, in the Madonna he, music but video, but he too. was also in the Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation video. Oh, well, maybe that would have been hard to catch. Not him maybe he was. No, I'm saying that would have been hard to catch him in that because it was all black and white. He was a pretty dark skinned guy, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> just being honest. Um, but, you know, not for nothing, like even like through his acting and everything, he was just he was from Brooklyn. He was originally from East Flatbush. Where he lived in Williamsburg. And you could always see him in, in Brooklyn, and especially when it came to community organizing and working with uh, local activists. He was really, really involved with it. And, you know, you see a lot like a huge outpouring of support for him and people sending their condolences and stuff. But that really just shows how influential people can be and how much they can leave a lasting impression on those because it wasn't just his acting it was his activism and his involvement in the community that really has spurred a lot and the fact that he even within his roles he was able to break down a lot of stigmas and barriers especially around homosexuality within the african-american community through his role as omar and even as playing as montrose uh what was the the character uh from lovecraft country he just recently did his uh what's his name uh, montrose, montrose freeman. freeman yes montrose freeman and uh you know he he really has broken through a lot of that and it's just it's it's sad to see such a talent unfortunately um depart under such uh you know unfortunate circumstances especially with drugs man drugs yeah you know when it comes to heroin and even like now it's really like fentanyl which is really the, the big killer and it's not only just being you know, sliced in heroin it's being sliced in cocaine as well so people who are sniffing cocaine are sticking it laced with fentanyl and that's been knocking people out you know we forget that um you know drugs are really like a, a huge public health risk and i'm glad the country is finally viewing you know people who suffer from drug addictions as you know because in the 80s and it was cracked and you know, we can get into a whole discussion. about Drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah, we can get into the whole optics about it and how people viewed it. But, you know, now at least people are viewing it as a public health issue because people who are. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illness. Yeah, it's an illness. And it's an illness. And as illnesses should be treated, they should be treated, you know, with medicine or holistically speaking, whatever the case may be. They shouldn't be, you know, institutionalized in prisons. And, uh, you know, hopefully as a nation as a society just even as a globalist human human society because you know the scourge of controlled substances are really uh, a hindrance on on many of uh many countries and many citizens we just hope that we could find ways to get it get it together and, we, and i hope that as we see 
our artists, you know, whether it be performing artists or, you know, our teachers, politicians, people who are, who are falling victim to these that hopefully we find ways to, uh, you know, ameliorate these situations and, and hopefully this won't be such an issue moving forward. But, you know, shout out to Michael K. Williams. We'll definitely miss you. Rest in peace. But even though he won't be here moving forward with us, we still have his body of work to look back on and uh, in view, because I know I go through, I would say at least every two, three years, I then rewatch The Wire because I get something out of it every single time. And uh, it'll always be nice to, to sit back and watch those performances in that show again. Yeah, we, uh, our longtime listeners know uh, at HPP, we love HBO. It's not HBO. It, no, what, what was it? What was HBO's tagline? It was. It's not TV as HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. But it because HBO was was they invented the prestige series. They they literally invented it. And The Wire was not the first one, but it was one of their one of their first ones. It's so brilliant, and we keep talking about it. And you're right. It's it's not just the fact that Michael K. Williams portrayed this. Really, he really wasn't a good person, but he was so he had a code. And and lovable was is a wrong word either. It's not lovable. I'm just searching for the word. But the point is that he, he was an ju- antihero. He was an antihero because sure because with Omar Little, it wasn't as though like he would get the bad guys, but he was also had a honor code that he lived. That's by. what it was, and yeah, it wasn't as though was, he code. went after civilians. Like he wasn't like. He wasn't going to run up on some, like, just some random dude walking the streets. It's like, nah, he ran up and robbed drug dealers to then take their stuff and sell it back to them or give it, like, wholesale on the block. And he just ripped them off. And it was, that was, like, the kind of the thing. It wasn't like Omar. Like, if you saw Omar coming, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I have to worry. Omar's about to pull a shoddy on me if you're a civilian. Like, nah, if you were a part of the game, he was that. He was the check on that. And that's what he was. It's like, it's all in the game. Like, this is the game. This is what we do. If you sell it, you need to be prepared to get rocked. And I'm that dude who's going to rock you. Yeah. And I, I, there's so many different ways to unpack the uh, Michael K. Williams's character, Omar, and go from the sexuality angle of he being a, a criminal black man who's also a homosexual. Because there's one thing, you know, to, you, had, you had said a few minutes ago about he portrayed a homosexual in the African-American community, but it was, he's supposed to be a hard man as like, he takes on, he he takes on gangsters, as you just said. And for that, even that is just so beyond what we would normally think of. And uh, I don't even know, again, I don't even know if he, if a, a character like Omar, Omar Little has a place in the pantheon of the LGBTQ community. I don't know. I mean, this is obviously not this type of podcast, but it's just unpacking that part is, is incredible. But um, I do have to admit to Carlo, The Wire on HBO, it's not TV, it's HBO, finished in 2008. I didn't start watching The Wire until about 2017, 2016, and of course, I mean, but, but that's almost 10 years after it's like eight, 10 years after it finished, there's no spoiler alerts after that, 
But I had randomly, I remember back then I stumbled across some article saying, you know, the demise of Omar, of Omar Little. And I was like in season one or something. And I was like, no. And so every episode I would cautiously, I mean, obviously, what are you going to do? Pause it? No. But you would watch it. It's like, oh, wait, is this the episode where Omar, something happens to Omar Little? Because I thought that Omar Little was going to, quote, win the series like he was going to come out as the top guy and he uh spoiler alert he doesn't he gets shot by some what is it, like seven eight-year-old kid unfortunately but um yeah anyways the wire amazing it it, it tackles baltimore not, it does not tackle baltimore it tackles american it, society from education from journalism education, journalism police everything everything like shipping unions but it it does it in baltimore but it could be transferred to every Any, city in the united states absolutely and and it's like it, it's so funny to demonstrate like i wouldn't say it's funny i think it was it was very the way that it was created and being able to tie together all of these strings into society and it just shows the interconnectedness to it though and you know, it was funny because I remember when the season, the second to last season where they were doing, focusing on the kids in the school and the school system and how that then flew, like it, it intermingled into the journalism and, and all of these things, it just shows you how all of these areas politically are connected and just society-wise are connected and how any small decision and choice could really lead to a multitude of outcomes and that's kind of what happened because then you see with the kids in, in that season they start to kind of create the archetypes for you know the Avon Barksdales or the the Stringer Bells and the Omar characters you see how they kind of develop from young and so who they could become as these adults and it kind of leaves you like that within the final season too but I really have to say like David Simon was just like the way that he wrote that together and I mean, it, it, it was good because he, he spent time working in a newsroom in the you know, in Baltimore, at the Baltimore Sun. And initially he started with The Corner. That was an HBO series that Charles Dutton and him came together to put out, which documented life of, uh, of drug dealers in Baltimore City. But then from The Corner, it turned into The Wire, which then metastasized it. And honestly, one of the best shows that ever. People, you have, you should definitely watch absolutely make it a point to watch the wire if you haven't watched it my last my last bit here on michael 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 k williams is not not just to watch the wire but michael k williams was also a, a guest on anthony bourdain's cnn show no reservations back in 2012 mm. and they went around uh, east flatbush in brooklyn uh, yeah eating food talking about care you know going to caribbean restaurant etc cetera, etc cetera. so you can also watch that Anthony Bourdain, obviously. Another he, departed. He's dearly departed. And Michael K. Williams. So check that, check that one out as well. Yeah. Which you can yeah. find on Netflix, by the way. There you go. Shout out to streaming services. Yes. <laughs> Netflix is making a boatload of money, people. And our next segment is a new segment, which we're calling the S&P double play business and baseball or maybe business and sports we don't know we're just trying this one out i want to bring up the fact that the chicago cubs baseball team are are 
hooking up with the gambling or do they want to call themselves gambling sports i don't know books. Sports, sports books is the nice it's the oh, okay. nice way to say All right. it. they're not they're not hooking up with uh, uh the the loan sharks like in hbo it's not tv it's hbo the sopranos <laughs> loan sharks no the chicago cubs are building a i don't even know what to call it it's sports book DeCarlo just said that at wrigley field with DraftKings, everyone knows DraftKings. Where we've any anytime you watch any sporting event, you have people like DraftKings, FanDuel, just saying, "Hey, sign up with us, and we'll give you a what hundred dollar credit or whatever to bet to gamble." Part of the part of the issue here is Wrigley Field, and we talked about the, we talked about this back in episode ten. Wrigley Field has recently been designated a national historic landmark and so that means it's overseen it's not owned but it's overseen by the national park service and they have to approve any major construction any major renovations because if it's a historic landmark then you you can't just not i don't want to say tear it down but you can't just do whatever you want to it so ultimately the chicago cubs and draft king what they want to do is build a two-story triangular building, which is interesting if you're if you're an architecture or a design person at heart. And in total, the, the DraftKings Sportsbook is going to be 22,000 square feet. That's like mind-boggling to Carl. Like it's not even a store, it's just a place to go play. It's just a place to go place bets. It's so, like Las Vegas. I guess. And the vice president of the Chicago Cubs, vice president of communications, Julian Green, said, quote, the way the fan consumes baseball is different through emerging technology and content platforms. Sports wagering is becoming a big part of that change. And this sports book will allow us to connect fans to the game in new ways, end quote. So, Carlo, I'm calling BS here. Connect fans to the game in a new way is us putting our hands in the pocket of the fan and taking the money out by placing these ridiculous bets. People, I am not a fan of gambling or bets, but I am not here to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you that the Chicago Cubs are looking to increase revenue. Over the next 10 years, they're projecting with this business venture with, with DraftKings gambling site, sportsbook, whatever you want to call it, they're going to they're gonna increase their revenues by $100 million dollars. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, they have to make up some shortfalls for the 2020 season as much as possible. But either way, like sports has been moving further and further into this move, especially as more states and municipalities legalize uh, online betting. Um, so it's not surprising. I mean, come on. It, it first started, I remember, I don't know if you remember, like it was like years ago, stating how sports was going to, like sports uh, organizations were going to start really tapping into corporate America first by the sponsorships, you know, putting little sponsors on their jerseys, which they started to do. I mean, NBA did that. Yeah. NBA did that. So you'll notice like, say if the Lakers, they have wish, which we all know you never want to order anything from wish because it's not going to be what you initially thought you ordered. No offense, wish, you know, whatever. Um, What else? Then you also have like Squarespace. So you'll see that like right on the, the top of their jerseys, but then you're seeing it, it's going to like you'll even see it now, like not actually on the fields, but they're like hot, like holograms on the fields that you'll see them, too. 
So that okay. was like the first like thing that you started to see. Well, you see it in baseball. I mean, in baseball, they have the advertisements all around the field all the time. Yeah. But so you're seeing more of that. And then now when you're having like online gaming, that's the next thing. Um, and, you know, they're going to get a cut of it. And that's what they want to do to make sure that they because, you know, what people are going to gamble. People have always been gambling on sports. They've been gambling on everything. And, it, it you know, whatever, whoever's vice, if your vice is gambling, you know, as long as you don't drink yourself drinking, smoking, whoring, who knows? Um, <laughs> but if you don't put yourself, you know, in, in a bind, whatever. But unfortunately, when it comes to when you have those serotonin hits, even if you win once, it's hard to put it down. Like it's, you might win one time out of like 30. And that one time is like spurred you to keep trying and trying and trying. And they try to incentivize it by saying, oh, well, you know, your first bet, you know, give you $100 and your surefire bet to win. And so it gets you, you reels you in and then you keep going. Yep. But, yeah, we'll that's see. Why, that. That, that's why they're offering everyone that like $100 credit when you yeah. sign up with them. Uh, that's like, oh, if so, if, if, if Team X, if the Atlanta Braves score one run, we'll give you $100. Or yeah. if the... Golden State Warriors score a three hit a three pointer and in the NBA you get another hundred bucks. Yeah. And so the Chicago Cubs are the first sports team in the state of Illinois to apply for the 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 the, 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 the gambling license. So the gaming board in the state of Illinois is currently reviewing it. But let's be honest, Carlo, you know you know the amount of lobbyists that DraftKings and the Chicago Cubs and Major League Baseball because they want to break into every single state that they have franchises in. This is going to happen. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they have this DraftKings place. Of course it's going to happen. I mean, I would just – it's funny when you said that, something came to mind because I remember the one thing that was really holding it up from coming into New York initially a couple of years back was the Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman. And what so happened to that man not so long after that, he ended up resigning – off of uh what is it he allegedly was uh forceful women he was in relationships with and yeah he's no longer in public office now he actually is a meditation coach so i mean maybe i'm putting two and two together but you know after that we started to see casinos popping up in new york state and we have resorts world in queens we have another one in the catskills um sports betting online is slowly but surely coming into the grips i mean this yeah yeah so and also because so many states need to make up with lost revenue you're right well not it, well that's another thing but to finish off with a gaming board in the state of illinois ultimately the other sports teams in chicago the chicago white Sox that play a guaranteed rate field the Chicago, the football, Chicago Bears that play at Soldier Field, and obviously the Chicago Bulls of basketball play at United Center. They they are they are able to qualify for this same license, and you know that within a space of two or three years, because the NBA, the NFL, are no dummies, and they want that dollar dollar bill. They're gonna get it. And the funny thing is, DiCarlo had just said most of these gambling sites, eventually all of America is gonna be able to gamble online on an app on your phone. Right now in Illinois, 95% of, 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 of bets back in 2020, there were uh, 400, almost $450, $450 million worth of bets placed online. And that's according to the state of Illinois' gaming board. 
So we'll see what happens with the Rick, uh, the, the Rickers, the Rickers. What am I talking about? The owners of the, um, of the Chicago Cubs, the, the Ricketts, the Ricketts family is going to make sick money. You, when you go visit, when you go watch a game at, in Chicago at, at the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field, it's beautiful. It's old. You don't have to place a bet, but if you do next year, I'm sure you could. Yeah. So the Rickers are going to be very, very thankful of all that cash going into their bank account. But at HBP, we're very thankful of all of our new listeners. Yes, especially we want to give a shout out to the new listeners we got from Reston VA, Ashburn VA, Shelbyville, Delaware, Silver Spring, Maryland, and Germantown, Maryland. And how fitting is it that we've showcased a lot of Maryland talk in this uh, this episode? Atlantic, the Mid-Atlantic folks. Yeah, Thank like, you yeah, so much, people. Yes. Hopefully you enjoy this episode too. And for us, that's a wrap on this episode. And of course, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a review and rate us. It helps with the analytics. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at HBP4040 and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Our drinks that we were consuming during this episode will be in the show notes. So, of course, if you want to sit back and, you know, what's the word I want to look for? Consume the beverages that we were partaking in or also get a little bit more info on the uh, breweries that Dorian is showcasing that are providing good American jobs. Please make sure you check that out. And, of course, make sure you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace.